Welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly conversation about identity, Celtic and Métis, healing and wellness, the spirit of place, and the pull of mystery. We linger in conversation about things at the center of our creative work and life. We respectfully acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the treaty and traditional territories of many nations, including the Anishinaabeg, the Michisagi Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Wendat peoples. These lands are now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples, and are covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaty, treaties to peaceably share and protect this land through friendship and respect. We thank those who have cared for this land, and we are grateful for the opportunity to live here and connect through conversation. We have liftoff. <laughs> I feel I feel the liftoff. I'm floating now. Thank you for that. Just like the hummingbird. Sorry, folks, if we keep comparing to the hummingbird, but that, that's just what we do, right, Jessica? That's right. The hummingbird is always here with us as we engage in our conversations. Floating and helping us float, although that would be a, a heavy load for a hummingbird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Here we are again this week, and we want to continue the conversation from last week. And just so our listeners know, we literally haven't talked about this since last week. So we're not secretly doubling up on a podcast and having a conversation the same day. We're waiting a week just like you and, and then having the conversation and revisiting it. And the joy of having some time and space when we re- enter into a topic is that I think it creates more portals and possibilities for us to step into through that topic. Yes, and the topic to create portals for us to step through too. So it's a it's like a two-way portal. I don't even know what word I would add to that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and last week we were talking about creative spaces. So maybe it's a two-way portal of creative spaces. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're going to have to work on that. It's a Poetica portal is what it is. If we build oh, off the last. Oh, Poetica portal. Yes. 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 So we step into our Poetica portal, think about the creative spaces, and it led us to you sharing a poem called The Queen is Not Welcome Here. And I, I wondered... If how you felt about starting with that, I would love to hear you read the poem again. And we could use that as our entry point to exploring this topic a little bit more. I'd be happy to, Jessica. Yes. And and sort of talking about where it is we go to put ourselves in a creative space and then how voices can also lead us to these creative spaces and, and the way that the world works on our imagination and how voices can move through us. And in this particular case, it's the voice of someone who's dealing with dementia and something that my grandmother went through. Uh, so witness to, to the way that her mind was working. And I'll read the poem now. The queen is not welcome here. She won't leave, the queen. She is hogging my room, my living room. She is waiting for me to leave my bedroom. And Bobby Orr keeps waiting by the door, tapping his hockey stick clock, a trick. Get out. I won't. I cradle myself in my sheets. The blood I am sweating rubs off. 
I hear the pomp and circumstance playing outside my chair-jammed door. She is hungry now, Her Majesty. I sense it, for the brass is stopped. Her growls slip through the doorway slit, quick pink contractions. I grab for the phone, I holler, I'm coming, but I'm still holding onto my head between the sheets. It hurts even more with this receiver at my ear. They won't leave, I say to my daughter. Calm down, mother, I'm coming over. And the music starts up again to the tapping stick, and the Avenger is waiting in his bowler hat. His belly's a talk to Bobby Orr's tack. What cocktail is Daddy preparing for me? When will my daughter open the door? I hear my lost youth in her questioning voice. I peek out the front. She is tossing a bag down the garbage chute. I hear the long slide. Say goodbye to the mother. I won't. I can't. Thank you so much for that. I wonder if before we get into unpacking the poem, I'd just like to invite listeners to maybe even just press pause and sit in the moment of the poem a little bit. That's one of the benefits of this being recorded is you can pause it if you'd like. You can go back, take that time to to see where, where a poem takes you before you hear about where it takes us. Always feel free to go back and listen to a poem a couple of times. Because we are in this format, for us, we, we want to keep within our 30-minute time frame-ish and keep focused and keep moving. So we want to invite you to use the technology and the capacities that come with that to really take time to reflect and connect. What I love about this poem is the complexity that you've captured here through the voice. You captured the the many voices, the adult voice is there, but so is the child voice. The joy of play is there, but so is the loneliness. And the word play is just incredible. And like when I first read the poem and when I read it on the page, this is a good poem to listen to because I missed the rhyme of and Bobby Orr keeps waiting by the door when I read it with my eyes. But when I hear the poem, it jumps out. That rhyming adds to the play, tapping his hockey stick, a clock, a trick. And then that tension with the get out I won't. And at the end, I won't. I can't is really powerful too. So tell me a little bit about how then when you wrote this poem, if you can remember how the voice and the voices led you through the story. It's interesting when you look back and try and remember there's almost a fugue state that you sometimes go into, at least I find that with poems and and, and entering to that place. And thinking back, I know there were different sort of strands from my life and things working their way through to be part of this poem. And it was when I was working on the book, Her Red Hair Rises with the Wings of Insects, and I was working with the glass of form, which meant that I had to take four lines from another poet's work. I've talked about this in a previous podcasts, and I was uh, instinctively drawn to the poems of Dorothy Malloy. So I had chosen her lines, her four lines, and were working them through this poem. So initially, each stanza would have ended with one of those four lines. But in the time period between when the book was going to appear 
and a new scheduling date for the date that did eventually happen, that time period really opened up the possibilities for how this book could move in different ways. So in the end of the day, the manuscript became not just glasses, but deconstructed glasses. So the words of Malloy, some of them disappeared, some of them are within the stanzas and weaved in. And if the reader or I guess listener, I should say, if the listener were able to see the poem, they would see the italicized parts, and that would be the the remnants of Malloy. So with that in mind, I always sort of in picking sort of the four lines initially to start the process, I would somehow think of something that could spark between those poems, or sorry, those lines that I would pick, and then what was going on in my imagination. And there was something about those lines that made me think of a voice dealing with some kind of inner turmoil. And I started to think about how my grandmother, when she was first going through the initial stages of what we realized with dementia, was starting to do things that were totally out of character. She was living in an apartment in Burlington. My aunt was in Burlington too, and she was looking after her and making sure she was okay and checking in with her. And she noticed that one day when she went to visit the apartment that my grandmother had all of these royal magazines. I don't even know if they're called Her Majesty or whatever they they were, but she was fascinated by the royal family. And she had them all sort of lined up on the couch Um, Much like you do when you're a little kid and you line up your little dolls or your stuffed animals as if they're going to watch you do a little show. And she had them all propped up. And and then she would also then sometimes call my my aunt and say about uh, the queen talking to her on, on the TV. And this would actually be her imagining the magazine faces of the queen speaking to her and of course then we we knew things were changing for her and it was worrying and and so on and and that idea of not wanting to deal with it I mean there's a there's the speaker of the grandmother's voice throughout the poem but we also hear the daughter's voice too there's that struggle between them and the daughter dealing with what's going on and Sometimes we don't want to think about what's going on and we just want to sort of brush it under the carpet and that idea of then taking these magazines and as it says in the poem, putting them down the garbage chute, almost like if I take that away, then the problem will go away or the occurrence of what's going on. And and of course it doesn't. So just sort of playing with all of the those factors through the voice as the voice weaves through the poem and braiding in Malloy's lines, seeing what I might be able to to do with them really was what kind of brought the poem together. And and I think as well, like there was a certain uh, period of time that my grandmother would have been dealing with in terms of hockey players like Bobby Orr would have been in the background of the TV growing up. And then also the Avenger and thinking about his tapping stick and his bowler hat. And, and it's interesting hearing you speak about it because there is very much like a, a nursery rhyme quality to it, but nursery rhyme gone tragically wrong. So mm-hmm. it's, it's it, and yet it's, it, there's a helpless quality too, but there's a strength in that sort of battle as we move through it, at least I hope so, to, to create some kind of tension. That's so good. And as you were talking, as I often do, I was making notes and it led me to the question of, and a reflection on as you were speaking, thinking about how we enter into 
creative spaces as we write to share a story or a moment that has captured our attention? And then how do you embody the the speaker of a poem in order to have the voice come out as strongly as it does in this piece? My background is in theater. So for me, when I think about that, embodying the speaker of a poem and entering into the poem so that I can try and take on the voice, I think back to some of the learning I did years ago about Stanislavski and method, thinking about how to connect into the feeling. So first following the story, and in this case, because it's somebody you know, and I can relate that to poems I've written about people that I know, kind of tuning in somehow in an internal way to feeling what it might be like to be that person is maybe the best way that I can describe it. And letting go of my own voice and just doing some deep internal listening and hearing their voice coming through and onto the page. And then taking that and then trying to shape it as I go and then always as I'm working through the process of writing a poem that's trying to capture a voice in this way, coming back to that deep internal listening. So I was wondering with you in capturing the voice here so beautifully and strongly, do you have an entry point into accessing that? Is there a way that you can get in there or do you just hear them and follow the trail? I'll answer that in a moment, but I just have to say I love the idea of tuning in and that idea, too, of letting go of the self to enter into that tuning in, almost like there's a a frequency that you can kind of tap into. And I think that that's really what, if I'm looking at how it is that happened, I think that, that I'm following a voice that I'm listening deeply to or I'm connecting to in a way that is coming to me and then I'm following it to see where it wants to go with the material in this case that was guiding me to move with it as it moved with me because of the parameters of the glossa and using the language of Malloy and weaving that in. So it was multi-leveled but at the same time it didn't feel complex because the voice was driving it. So it was very much hearing that frequency and listening to where it wanted to go and just trusting that process. And I did feel a bit uneasy afterwards because I wasn't writing in my own voice. And of course, there's a lot of and much needed talk about about appropriation and who who we're speaking for and all of those things, which I think is really important. But I also know when it's coming from a place of love and trying to understand it. And in this case, family members and and my aunt. It's funny, when I first gave her this book, she opened it up. And that was the first part. She's like, oh, the queen is not welcome here. (laughs) I was like, of course, that's the when you open up the book that I give you uh, your first copy of it. That's the poem that you uh, open and but she was fine with it. But sadly, now she has dementia. So she's actually going through what her mother went through. So there's a a layering here as well, too. And and so it's just part of the life journey, as we know, and things can change. And but somehow we we feel compelled to to make these moments mean something through art. So yeah, but I love the idea of tuning in. And again, it's brought me to so many places as these conversations do, Jessica, the different strands that they bring into my mind. And I don't even know if I answered your question. Oh, you have. And and what I love is that you sparked an insight. We started this conversation with a, a, an open, broad topic of creative spaces. And I realized just now, and it's it's a knowing I, I've had 
in the past, but I don't know if I've if I've landed there the way I've just landed there is the creative space is really that journey from the external to the internal. The synchronicity of choosing a poem like this one to demonstrate the creative space, the queen is not welcome here. My understanding of dementia, which isn't great, I don't know a lot about it. What what I know about it is there's a lot going on internally, and it is a journey from the external and being able to move through the world in an external way to having internal worlds happening mm-hmm. and a different way of seeing and being. And I think that when I think about creative space, that's what we're working towards is that journey from the external world that we live in and, and move through every day to how can we move into an internal world and then pull that back out again to express it, to make it external. And we use things like a particular room or we might use scented candles or we might use tea or coffee or particular music. So we have spaces that might help open the portals. But really, it's all about that journey to the deep within, to tuning in, to finding those frequencies, and then letting them lead the way through the page and find their voices and being a conduit for that. Oh, I love what you've just said. And that's one of the joys of the podcast. So now it's captured. Because <laughs> sometimes you can have these conversations <laughs> as creators and you think, what did I just say? Or what did that person just say? And so thanks, listeners, for uh, being uh, interested in our journey, because I just love what all of what you've just said there, Jessica. Yes, it's so much about the external to the internal and moving into that space and coming back out and bringing it to the external world as well, too. Yeah. So to continue on that, I'm wondering if if we can try another poem. I I had uh, sent you a poem earlier from my collection, The Thing with Feathers. And there are three poems throughout called Act One, Act Two, and Act Three that were written to look like poems. But in my mind, they are little tiny plays and they are written for two voices. And I wondered if you would be one of the voices and we could read through it and then we can connect this back into some of the things we've been talking about. Well, it would be my pleasure, Jessica. Yay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I just delight in that. Thank you. You're welcome. Act one. Large desk faces audience. Enter me stage left. This isn't what I wanted. Enter jar stage right. I thought this was a bar. Who are you? Jar. You don't look like... But that's what I am. Everyone knows jars don't talk. I could help collect things. Do you offer wishes? I'd wish... You're confusing me with a lamp. I'm jar. See glass walls, twisty aluminum lid. Any wishes in this? Not that I... I'm empty. A container. A vessel to collect whatever you desire. I'm trying to collect my... Thought jar. Not bad. But what about a curse jar? More fun. I've got a list, see? I only have so much space. Blackout. Thank you for bringing this poem to the podcast, Jessica. You're welcome. (laughs) Going back to, to the beginning journey of this poem, does anything come to mind or would you like to share anything about how this poem came to be? Absolutely. So as... Many of our listeners know the jar seems to be appearing all of the time. And the jar for me has always been something that talks to me. And I don't know why. And the first poem that the jar appeared in was a poem that I had written with you, actually. We were 
in uh, a retreat in Bethany and the phrase sunshine in a jar and capturing that sunshine in a jar began everything. And that feeling of poetica, that feeling that we've been talking about of that deep internal listening. And so then over the years, I started really listening to see what the jar had to say. And I wrote another poem called Open the Jar, where I realized as I listened to the jar, that part of the story was missing. I had only been collecting certain pieces of it and I had been missing out on others. And then over time, things evolved and I started to argue a little with the jar and try to control it a little bit. And some in a way that I, I might try to control a character in a novel that I'm working on and I want them to do one thing and, and yet something else unfolds in the scene that I couldn't have anticipated. You do over time, I find, develop these relationships where your mind lets go somehow and it becomes something other than what you can see and you become an audience member of your own writing. I, I don't know what to call all that, but... <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about these, this there's three poems. This was one of them called Act One. When I think about this one, I, I thought about, well, what if what if it was a play where, because I'm also a playwright, where you have this jar and, and an actor and, the, and being me, and we have this conversation and I'm trying very hard to define it and what its purpose is and what to use it for. I'm taking that external and trying to put it in and it's starting in and it's pushing out and it's saying, no, you need to listen. And this is what it's for. There's a surrendering process going on and and, uh, and it, yes. it's having its own agenda to allow you to see what you really need to do. Totally. Yes. Yeah. I'm also thinking about it's a very lean poem, but there's a lot of air in it, much like air is in a jar, if it's empty, of course. And uh, there's almost an the way you described too about your relationship with jar. I'd forgotten that it happened the beginning of our journey. I just love that, Jessica, how things kind of keep doing that when we mm-hmm. talk about our creative journeys, how it goes back to that first time that we met. And then also thinking too about, you almost described it at the jar as all uh, like an alter ego. Yes. Yeah. And the things that I'm I'm not listening to, right? Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. maybe you know, the guide on the side who's challenging me and pushing me and have you considered this? And no, you, you're not going to do that right now. I'm going to try this. Jars are things that take up space, um, but they're also things that you can open and and take things out of. And, and I used to think about that. I used to think about the sunshine in the jar would be a lot like poetica. They're very similar types of ideas, that feeling of, of vibrancy and alive that you have when you're in the process of creating. But I started to think about, well, what if you had a storm cloud in a jar? What would that be like? And when I think about my own story and my understanding of trauma over time, and I understand more about how fragmented the body can respond, the different than from the mind. So sometimes if I'm thinking and reacting to something, my mind will have a response to it, but my body will have a response to it, but it won't necessarily even be on the same day. 
I used to think that that those fragments was that it would all come to me in pieces, but that's not been the case as I've learned and grown over the years. It's it's really quite fascinating how it works. So it's fascinating to me too to think about how this jar and these jars have captured my attention because it really is taking things apart into their pieces and organizing them in a way as they come so that then I can look at them and better understand them and then decide what am I going to put together here. But at the end of the day, it's all about me being in control, which... Right. And that makes sense too for that safety, but it's about that control. But what I, what I need to learn through that tension and that relationship with jar (laughs) is that I need to, to realize that there, there is safety and vulnerability and that I need to let go. And I need to not be right all the time. I need to let jar be right. So I hope this is making sense. This is that journey from the inside to the outside, kind of those floating thoughts that aren't fully formed yet that you try to piece together. And it is one of those poems that, you know, you write and you don't fully understand yourself. And every time you come back to it, as you learn and grow, it means more to you and makes more sense to you as to why you wrote it. So I wouldn't have had this understanding of that poem when I wrote it. I just thought I was playing. Yes. And I I get that sense of play, but it's also um, quite a striking and powerful ending. I mean, it ends with one word, one line, blackout, which can take us to so many places and really kind of think, strikes a a darker energy through the rest of the poem, which is interesting when we think about the playful quality and the way, as you said, the body can just be struck by something, whatever that that is, memory or something that we're dealing with when an experience of trauma of some kind. And I can't help but think about jar being, of course, a noun, a container, but also jar as in how something can jar you, the the verb and how Mm. that blackout makes me think of the other meaning of jar and how you can be jarred by something as well. And, and and what I'm seeing here for the first time is that line before blackout, I only have so much space yes. and then blackout, and we're talking about creative space. So that leads me to the question of, is there a limit to creativity and creative spaces within us? And this poem suggests there is. It might be a limit for where the creator is to deal with what is coming up and there might be a bigger jar required to hold a space that needs more space too. So the blackout in my mind is temporary, Jessica. (laughs) So I think there could be hope because um, it can be just part of the process for, for this particular experience with the jar. And we know that there is an act two and an act three. So listeners know that the story continues as well, but that's part of the process. And sometimes an ending can be a beginning and can be what needs to happen and as much as we don't necessarily want to go there yeah right and an ending can feel absolute like for example even just the end of of working on a project so say finishing this this collection of poetry and it it ending that can feel like that door has closed and it takes some time and it takes hope and it takes another project to see like like I wonder can I do that again (laughs) um can I put together another book of poetry so I think of that too like that that creative space and when when you, you put something together and we see this through through the lives of 
of, of famous people too, who maybe have written that one great book or have done that. And you wonder, well, why haven't they written more? Is it that the lights didn't come up on act two for them because of some of those things that that can hold us back in the creative process too. We need to have that hope. We need to have that light and we need, I, I find, and and to, to just engage in the practice and not hang on to the expectations of what it's going to be. Just create for the sake of creating. And that is the way I find when I hit those blackout moments that the light comes back because yes. there's always light when there's creativity and it, in my it's, mind. It's the cycle, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think too of um, where where uh, where this might take us in our next episode, just because I'm thinking about sometimes the importance of that space between like what happens after the blackout. And so, listeners, stay tuned because as as always has been the case anyway so far, the the journey that we go to leads us to the next stage of the journey. So um, we'll talk more about where this is going next week as well too, right, Jessica? Oh, that would be great. So I can't wait. My gosh, the time went by so quickly today. <laughs> Didn't it? And and thank you so much for, for sharing this poem. And it was just lovely to talk about it. Thank you. Take care. Bye, everyone. Catherine Graham is an award-winning writer and creative writing teacher living in Toronto. Jessica Outram is a Métis writer and educator, Coburg's fourth Poet Laureate, and Assistant Principal of Indigenous Education. The music has been generously provided by Shannon Linton. Connect with us online at thehummingbirdpodcast.com.